and welcome to tonight's edition of the One Hood Power Hour. I am your co-host, Kahari Mosley, here with my illustrious co-host and co-pilot on our Monday night missions, Miracle Jones, Esquire. How are you doing? I am doing well, Kahari. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. You know, it's another Monday night, another Manic Monday. Got a big week coming up. You know, we got uh, Netroots in town. And um, we were inching, inching closer to, you know, fall and Labor Day and back on the campaign trail. So, you know, we're going to be starting off our candidate forum series at the end of September. So we still got a little bit of time before we get back to the candidate forums, but a lot more politics in the, in the coming weeks uh, here on the Power Hour. But not yet. You know, we're still going to enjoy the summer. And uh, so, Miracle, tell us what we, before we get into the news of the day. What do folks have in store for tonight? Um, so today we're very blessed. We have two amazing guests to talk to you about some of the ways that communities are responding to things that are happening. You know, um, our first guest is Lee from uh, New Voices for Reproductive Justice. We're going to talk about how um, things are happening here in Pennsylvania since uh, the change, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And then our second guest, Billy from Community Pittsburgh, is going to talk about uh, some cool ways that people are fighting um, back against gentrification, making sure that they're able to um, stabilize housing in their communities, how they're able um, to look up not only priceless, but um, help neighbors who've fallen behind um, due to taxes to so some really cool initiatives that are happening with um, housing stability within this region. And so we have a really great program for you this evening. But like Hari said, it's a Monday, um, which means we're, we're back in the world of politics. And unfortunately, Pennsylvania, you know, crudite, crudite, we're, we're in the middle of, uh, you know, a very um, contentious election cycle. But like Karhari said, we have Netroots and a bunch of other events coming to Pittsburgh. So people from all of the major parties are going to be in Pittsburgh this weekend for a variety of rallies. So please expect to see Pennsylvania um, on your news, Pittsburgh on your screens um, all weekend um, from the Senate campaigns um, all the way down um, to the gubernatorial um, this weekend. So back to you, Karhari. Thank you for that miracle. Yeah, and there's so much uh, going on in the political world, starting with national news and the news has pretty much been everywhere. Um, the Federal Bureau of Investigation um, has raided uh, former President Donald Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago, Florida home uh, for about 11 uh, documents of different levels of classification uh, that you know were not permitted to be taken uh, from the White House. Um, so there's an ongoing investigation. Um, there's, I believe, three uh, potential charges uh, that 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 have been discussed: uh, the Espionage Act, as well as obstruction and, and you know improper removal of of, of basically national secrets, uh, national security uh, inf information. So this is a lot uh, of uh, information has come out in the last few days. Understand that Attorney General Merrick Garland you know, weighed this for many, many weeks. This was not a decision that came very hasty. Uh, there was a lot of thought, uh, you know, put into the ramifications of it. And I, and I heard that also a message was sent to the attorney general from former President Trump, um, almost some sort of a warning or almost some sort of a threat, some believe. So uh, I think this part of the story, um, 
is just getting started. Um, and, and along with um, news around former President Trump, one of his uh, biggest foes, uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney out of Wyoming, um, is up for uh, a primary election tomorrow. Many believe that she will not uh, be successful. Uh, many believe that she's going to lose the Republican primary in the state of Wyoming running against a candidate. Uh, former President Trump has uh, endorsed uh, Harriet Hageman, um, and uh, all eyes are will be on Wyoming uh, this time tomorrow night uh, to see if Liz Cheney somehow survives a, a tough primary. But many believe if she does lose um, this uh, this primary, as many believe she will, she will then um, begin to plan a 2024 presidential campaign. Some say not to win, but to really ensure um, that a former President Trump never uh, wins the mantle of Republican nominee for president, um, you know, particularly in 2024, but it never again, 2028, 2032, you can name the year. I think Liz Cheney is not going to be a supporter of former President Trump ever again. So it's going to be very interesting to see what will be the aftermath of uh, this race uh, in the state of Wyoming uh, with Liz Cheney and then what she will do next um, if she does lose. Many believe it'll be a 2024 presidential race. So uh, back to you. Um, yes, I'm keeping in line with like Wyoming. Also, the state of Utah is having a very interesting uh, Senate primary as well. Um, one of their leading challengers isn't even a Democrat, it's an independent um, who has gained um, caucusing with um, Dems because he is trying to um, overturn another um, a Trump ally um, in the Utah Senate. So what we're really going to be seeing in these um, next couple of weeks with these last few primary challenges is still a referendum on the last presidential administration. Um, as we head into November, there's been a conversation about you know, the dialogue uh, and the messaging coming from both of the major parties. Uh, what does it mean um, to run a race right now? How are we getting down ballot races? How are we funding races? And also, um, how are we getting people um, excited about uh, the polls when there is so much misinformation, disinformation around elections? And so between now and November, unfortunately, uh, please remember that you're going to be inundated a little bit with some, some federal messaging and ads um, as these are some of the most expensive races that we're seeing in U.S. history. Again, for a recap for some of our viewers, Citizens United a few years ago changed the way money um, is able to be engaged in politics. And so some places have like unlimited spending. And so a lot of you're seeing a lot of uh, corporations back candidates. Well, you're also seeing a lot of um, individuals um, spend millions upon millions of dollars to finance their own candidacies. And so it's going to be a very interesting election year. One of the strangest, you know, election years uh, a lot of people are forecasting, again, with Roe v. Wade being one of the leading um issues that are uh, mobilizing people um, around uh, voting, particularly because of Justices Thomas's um, opinion, where he basically said that um, the right to birth control, the some of the um, rights to privacy um, under same-sex marriage um, and um, uh, same-sex adult encounters should be changed. 
um, and so a lot of people who may have not traditionally been engaged in the political sphere are now mobilizing. So it's a, a lot um, happening. But again, um, all politics is local, so there's a lot of stuff happening uh, national. But you know, things are happening here locally. And one of the biggest stories here um, locally is, of course, over the weekend, um, it was announced that the uh, there was another death at the Allegheny County Jail, and this is in the midst of a, a national conversation about reimagining public safety and reimagining um, cities without jails. In New York, there is the Close Rikers movement. In Atlanta, there is the Close the Jail ATL. In New Orleans, they um, you know close. Um, and they're um, advocating to close um, one of their local jails. You know, in St. Louis, they closed the workhouse. And so there is this ongoing national conversation about how to engage public safety when it comes to incarceration because jails are so costly so and so violent um, and so egregious um, as human rights uh, conditions and offenders. And so... Um, unfortunately, Allegheny County Jail locally here is no exception. Um, and there was an announcement that uh, the jail will be uh, put on oversight, but a national organization is going to come over and look and see if there's anything that can happen to make the jail safer. Again, this is the ongoing campaign where hundreds of people are, are showing up, you know, online and in person to the Allegheny uh, County Jail Oversight Board demanding changes, and this is nothing um, that is new. And when we're talking about elections, you know, also there is a big conversation last week um, here in Alle Allegheny County as the Board of Elections announced that they would not be doing satellite boxes and they would not um, be doing satellite sites um, as we are going into this next uh, general election. So in Allegheny County, people will only be able to drop their ballot off at the Board of Elections downtown on Roth Street or in um, the mail if they're not able to vote in person. And again, there's a lot of stuff happening um, nationally and locally. And I know Kahari has some more things to talk about. Thank you, Miracle. I did want to lift up that the uh, that the Democrats just passed a major uh, piece of legislation um, it is called the inf the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Sorry about that. The Inflation Reduction Act uh, was passed uh, um, in Congress. Uh, it was it was passed by a fifty one fifty vote in the Senate, uh, meaning uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, broke uh, the, the tie in in the Senate. Uh, but some of the things that it that it addresses it tackles climate change, more than three hundred billion will be invested in energy and climate reform, the largest federal clean energy investment in US history. The bill has support of many environmental and climate activists, though it fell short of the $550 billion allotment that the Democrats initially called for. It also lowers the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, it, uh, it, it makes uh, prescription drugs more affordable, but there is some limits the bill does include a historic measure that allows the federal health secretary to negotiate the prices of certain expensive drugs each year for Medicare, but the bill won't impact every prescription drug or every patient, and it won't take effect quickly. The negotiations will affect 10 specific drugs uh, covered by Medicare in 2026 
increasing to 20 uh, drugs in 2029. And then finally, uh, in the area of tax reform, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, also creates a 15% minimum tax for corporations making a billion dollars or more in income or bringing in more than $300 billion in revenue. Uh, and many folks have said this has been uh, the biggest uh, legislative achievement um, since the COVID relief uh, bills that were passed early in the Biden administration and uh, poll numbers seem to be going up. Uh, for President Biden, and this does seem to be uh, the best month that President Biden probably has had since his first couple months in office in early 2021. So I just wanted to take an opportunity to lift that up as a major, major piece of legislation or looking at in September, you're going to start to see a lot more information about this, a full rollout uh, with the Democratic Party really trying to take ownership over this legislative victory and really try to uh, lift up uh, the benefits that uh, everyday Americans will um, will get once uh, these uh, these new reforms get implemented. Back to you, Miracle. Yes, and so you know, there's been a, a whole lot of conversation about what does it mean <laughs> for people to get in, involved in the political process, and a lot of people have talked about how it's been um, Senator Schumer who has really been mobilized by a lot of the protests over the past couple of years and has been actually um, able to get a caucus to have some of this legislation passed, whereas in the past, he was more of a moderate, very by the book. But because of some of the protests and the changes and the conversation about legacy and, and what people are leaving behind has been really um, going out there, becoming more progressive, um, taking you know public stances on issues that he probably would not have done a couple of years ago. So it's been very interesting to see. And you know, as we move into this, you know, this recess where people are going to be hitting the ground, getting ready for the Labor Day relaunch of the uh, the campaign, it's going to be very interesting to see what other legislation uh, comes down and how people are going to be um, able to spend this on this very very con contentious. Uh, a campaign trail, but you know, we have a very good program. And before we go there, I'll let uh, Kahari wrap up with our current news. Thank you, thank you, Miracle. And, and just to uh, to round out uh, some of the uh, the things that are happening, you know, here here in the state, um, uh, John Fetterman returned to the campaign trail on August 12th, I believe, in Erie, Pennsylvania. So it appears that uh, that John Fetterman is in, in the uh, process of recovering from the stroke he suffered in the in the days leading up to the primary election. Um, has now taken some time off. It looks like almost close to three months, and now is back on the campaign trail. Uh, you know, ready. You know, for the closing stretch. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. You know, very interesting poll came back from a PA ten. Uh, with that, that is uh, the race out in 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 the, in the Lancaster area, uh, where you have Shemaine Daniels, African American woman, the Democratic nominee, is running against Scott Perry. Um, Scott Perry, uh, you know, has been implicated in the activities of January sixth, uh, um, and you know, it is said to even had asked for a pardon in the days after that. Um, and it shows that, uh, it, at least there's a recent poll that shows that Shemaine Daniels, um, has a 44 to 41 advantage percent advantage 
over Scott Perry in the 10th congressional district. If she were to win and Summer Lee to win, they would be the first two African-American women ever elected to Congress in the state of Pennsylvania. So again, it's, it's a very, very, very interesting political cycle. And, and that's one race that even though it's on the other side of the state, uh, we'll be taking a very a close look at uh, this Shemaine Daniels, Scott Perry race in central Pennsylvania is going to probably continue to be one of the most close well, closely watched congressional elections, not only here in Pennsylvania, but around the country. And, and talking about elections and, and the fallout and elections having consequences, we know um, that the biggest consequence of the last election was that there was a change in the makeup of the Supreme Court which resulted in the Dobbs decision that basically found that Roe v. Wade was unconstitutional. Um, and since that time, there has been changes all across the U.S. when it comes to reproductive justice and reproductive access. And to talk a little bit about what that has meant so far from for people here in Pennsylvania, please welcome from New Voices for Reproductive Justice. Um, Lee, who's going to just talk a little bit um, about the current uh, state of abortion access here in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Power Hour. Thank you. Thank you so much, Miracle. Thank you so much, Corey, for having me and for having New Voices tonight. Of course, of course. Um, just to get started, can you just talk a little bit about New Voices? Um, so who, are, who are you and what is this term reproductive justice? Because I think sometimes that's the first, this is maybe the first time people um, are hearing that. Absolutely. Uh, new Voices, we hear at New Voices, we're a nonprofit. Um, we are the only one of its kind, the first of its kind in Cleveland to uh, be here to advocate for those um, Black women gender expansive people, femmes, um, for the needs of them. Our mission at New Voices for Reproductive Justice is dedicated to transforming society um, for holistic health and well-being, like I said, for Black girls, women, and gender expansive people nationally, as well as in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Um, we help to dismantle patriarchal anti-Blackness using tools uh, as, such as community organizing, leadership development, as well as voter engagement. And regarding reproductive justice within itself, it is a term that sometimes is confused with things like reproductive rights. But reproductive justice is our guiding framework. Um, it's an innovative, radical movement designed specifically to engage Black, marginalized um, by gender in local, national, and global movement building for radical justice, gender justice, and as well uh, as well as environmental justice. Thank you. And can, can you um, unpack a little bit why it's important to differentiate between the verbiage of reproductive rights and reproductive justice? Absolutely. Um, I made that distinction because reproductive justice uh, encompasses, like I said, about the Black marginalized communities. Reproductive rights was not inclusive of uh, womb having persons that were Black. The transgender, the LGBTQ community, none of those people were uh, included in reproductive rights in the way that we approached it, the way that it was broken down. But reproductive justice became the answer to that. Thank you so much. And can you just talk a little bit, what is the state of you know, reproductive right now in Pennsylvania? I know stuff is changing literally day, day by day, but, but what is, is the landscape right now? Well, you know, honestly, Miracle, you know, 
this overturning of Roe v. Wade is really taking precedent in the minds of many people. And, you know, when people ask about the state of abortion or healthcare right now, speaking on behalf of New Voices, you know, our commitment and our convictions remain the same, no matter the landscape. But Black birthing individuals will be the ones affected, continually affected, by restricting things like abortion access um, the most. This on top of everyday violence that um, Black people in, are involved in or engaged with or are faced with already sanctions against Black women, birthing individuals, men, and their families. And this is happening by state. And this type of, of restriction gives us, we, we, we no longer have access to adequate health care, adequate housing, uh, equity in the community, communities with clean air, clean water, um, and access to family planning. I think it's also worth saying that people with the capacity for pregnancy are in a fight for their bodily autonomy every single day and their right to create families in the way that aligns with their needs. I think that's what's important to note about reproductive um, justice is that we want to be able to create and raise our families in ways that we see fit. Or if I see as a Black woman that I don't want to have a family or raise a family, that is my right. So these are things that are being infringed upon. Um, so the current state of abortion access right now, while people think because Roe v. Wade turned over and announced, ah, no, we've always been in a place where legislation has tried to tell us what we can do with our body. So the current state is still bumpy, it's as bumpy as it was before, and it's still fight that you know, still a fight that has to happen. But the restrictions are obvious, and I think that's what's drawing most attention right now. Uh, th thank you for that. Um, can you talk a little bit about in the wake of the, the recent decisions and, you know, the current uh, political landscape? What is the work uh, that New Voices is doing right now? And, and what are some of the current campaigns that you're involved in? Well, currently under our uh, Voice Your Vote program, which is our integrated voter engagement program, we are operating in Philadelphia as well as in Cleveland. And our goal right now is to engage Black women, uh, FEMS and uh, birthing individual persons ages 18 to 49. Our, our, that's our target audience. But our goal is to not only engage them in learning what the importance of voting is, uh, but also to teach them another lesson that voting is just a tool. It's not the end all. Uh, it's not an overall panacea. It's just a tool. But we want to build some excitement around them taking um, part, playing part in what is to happen not only to um, everybody, but specifically to our Black counterparts, to the communities that I'm engaged with. So with our Voice Your Vote program, we're definitely pushing people to the polls, get out and vote. Um, we have our community organizing and engagement uh, department, which is working on in the areas of leadership development, which is another campaign that we are currently really strong about, building leaders and exposing people to these topics under reproductive justice. Um, we also are working in the area of environmental justice because we know that there's a lot of intersectionality there in um, just lifting up the voices of our uh, Black women and uh, femmes uh, and gender expansive persons, lifting their voices and bringing attention to what they're doing for the environment as it affects our reproductive uh, uh, rights and reproductive justice. Thank you for that. And, you know, here in Pennsylvania, there's still this ongoing conversation around maternal mortality, which is um, the rate of, of which people uh, die in pregnancy related um, uh, 
death uh, within the first uh, two years after a pregnancy experience. And you know that we talked about, you talked earlier about reproductive justice, um, having healthy pregnancies and healthy journeys. Is there some information or campaigns that New Voices is doing in this arena? We are very active in Black maternal health as it pertains to our function at collaborative tables and coalitions. Uh, and we are aware of the bills and policies that are being passed that touch on Black maternal health and Black families. Um, what I can encourage people to do is to connect with new voices. I mean, the facts are astounding. I was doing some research the other day and looking at um, non-Hispanic Black women versus non-Hispanic white women and the maternal mortality rate. I, I believe the Black uh, mortality rate is 2.9 times higher than that of non-Hispanic white um, women. So these facts, I hope it is driving people to connect with organizations, to donate um, to, we have uh, the Say Her Name Justice Fund that is happening right now at New Voices that people can donate to or can connect with if they are in need. It is serving Black women and the Black women and gender expansive persons in the greater Philadelphia, greater Cleveland, and greater Pittsburgh area. And we're able to help those women that are being affected by not being able to access um, anything in the continuum of healthcare, ideally, of course, right now, abortion. So we're able to provide funds up to $1,000 to you know those persons. We're not asking a lot of information. We just want to help. So for people that want to get involved in the Black maternal health fight, that is one way they can do it. Connect with New Voices. Uh, connect with our Say Her Name Justice Fund, donate, volunteer your time. Um, the list is endless, but those are a couple of the things that came to the top of my mind just now. And so we know there's been a lot of like litigation um, as well. So how has that been able, I mean, how has that at, if it at all impact the work that you and New Voices um, are doing? Litigations in regards to, you're talking about around abortion uh, access? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So we yes, we are very um present in the the policy front, staying on top of and aware of litigation, staying on top of and aware of current happenings, people that are on the ballot, not just people, but topics that are on the ballot. We're very engaged in that arena. Uh and policy informs everything that we do. So litigation directly affects us because it's how we're able to educate the community around us. It's how we stay informed and it directs our movement in regards to the fight for equity. And, uh, and before you go, can you talk a, a little bit, you know, because we talk a, a lot about what happens in, in Pennsylvania, but can you give us, you know, a, a quick rundown on the political landscape in Ohio right now and, you know, what's at stake? You know, we do get a little bit of, uh, of, of the Ryan J.D. Vance race, you know, because, you know, Ryan is like right out of Youngstown, so it's right over the border. But what what's happening, you know, in the state of Ohio? Because I always find it interesting, you know, when I first came into politics in, in, the, in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s, um, you know, Pennsylvania and Ohio were almost looked at as twins, you know, kind of the two twins that are connected uh, as one state goes, the other state goes. Maybe Ohio's a, just a little bit more conservative, but not much. But it seems like over the last, you know, several political cycles, you know, Pennsylvania, even though in 2016, Pennsylvania went red, but by and large, you know, since 2000, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, um, you know, ha has kind of gone more progressive, quote unquote, and, 
and 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 uh, Ohio has, has gone more conservative. Is, is that a fair estimation? And what you know is, is going on politically, you know, in, in the state of Ohio that folks outside of the state of Ohio need to be paying attention to? I can't speak to how fair that estimation is, but it sounds pretty close, Kahari. Um, me learning the landscape in Ohio, which I am doing every single day, uh, I'm just astonished by just the state, number one, of access to abortion or using abortion as health care. In the state of Ohio, I know that they've enacted the heartbeat bill, which says that uh, a birthing individual cannot receive abortion as health care after, I believe, six weeks of, of being uh, pregnant. And most people don't even know that they're pregnant by that time. So we've already cut that out. We know that um, it's just it's not a friendly landscape. Uh, like you say, for progressives right now. And it's really uh, a lot of things that are happening in Ohio, like voter purging. Um, my team always keeps me abreast of the fact that if you haven't voted in the previous primary election, that your information is purged. So then you go to vote and you're not even registered when you know you didn't know. So th those are a couple of things that are happening right now in Ohio. And I would say that they're becoming more and more increasingly, increasingly more stringent and strict in the way in which they deal with our, with our communities. All right. We saw there was going to be a painless conversation and it, um, it was. And so I do thank you so very much for joining us before you go. Can you just talk about how people can get in contact with new voices? Absolutely. We would love to hear from those that are interested in engaging with us, working with us, volunteering, uh, donating. You can definitely look us up on our website, um, www.newvoicesrj.org. That's www.newvoicesrj.org. Um, and from our website, you'll be able to have access to all of our programming, all of our uh, donation links, all of our streams. You can definitely use that website to contact with uh, our executive leadership or our uh, organizers on the ground. You use the website as a tool, use it as a key, open the door and come in and let's see how we can work together. All right. Well, we hope you have a rest, a blessed rest of your Monday evening. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You guys have a wonderful night. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And so talking about access to health care, one of the main ways people need um, access to health care is having access to a home, access to a, a stable structure. Um, and our next guest has spent um, years advocating for affordable housing, um, but just recently created a, a community initiative called Common Unity Pittsburgh that's aimed at educating people about not only the home ownership process, but um, how to find investment properties, how to look up um, listing in people's own neighborhoods to stop and push back gentrification um, and unfair housing practices. And so our next guest is the executive director of Common Unity Pittsburgh. Please welcome to the Power Hour, Billy Vaughn. Hello, how are you? Welcome. I'm good. Good evening. Thank you. Joining us. I'm sorry. He, I didn't hear you. Can you hear me? I said welcome. Yeah, yeah, oh. we can hear you. Yeah, I said welcome and thank you for joining thank us this evening. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 
And so you were in a, a business that a lot of people wouldn't think, you know, to start looking, especially um, coming off of the pandemic. Can you just talk a little bit about what led you to start looking at um, real estate, especially um, in local um, underserved communities? Yes, yes. So um, the main purpose and the vision for uh, Common Unity is to establish generational wealth through ownership. And uh, one of our services is Value the Vacant, where we teach uh, community stakeholders, uh, community members, how to purchase property through the uh, public sector of public options. Um, so a lot of people aren't aware of um, the process to purchase these properties in um, the public sector of um, you know our local municipality and our local government. So just being someone who you know started out working for the uh, city and just seeing the um, seeing the the gap of the um, educational and just this this public benefit, it just made me want to step out and start teaching community community members how to purchase this property. Thank you for that. And could you t um, talk a little bit, uh, you know, given, given that background, you know, you know, what made you, you know, really make the connections, you know, you're, you're working for the city, um, you know, you're seeing the role that, that the city is playing, you're seeing how the community is affecting, what was kind of, you know, uh, the light bulb moment for you, you know, that says, okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm serving the people, you know, in the public sector, but maybe I need to go into a different spot within the space to provide, you know, more for the community, you know, what, you know, what kind of made you come to that epiphany? Um, really just, you know, seeing the options at first. Um, and I would see how many people were there. So, you know, when we're talking about options, a lot of our uh, community members are already aware of like the shared sales, uh, which is like mortgage foreclosure options. But a lot of community members didn't know anything about the city auctions, which, which is like tax delinquent properties. And um, I would see the same, I want to say back in 2017, the same four people coming to these auctions. And I would sit and say like, why aren't people coming to these auctions? You know? And, um, and I would, I would try to work with, uh, you know, the city and the department I worked in to try to do some public engagement and at the time, I was just like it, too passionate about the ideas to try to, you know, start that. So it kind of just made me realize I can bridge out and start doing outreach um, on my own to the community on not just purchasing this property, but I also help people uh, redeem it, too. So there's been cases of someone not knowing a property, you know, that's been in their uh family lineage is going through the auction and I've helped them get their property taken out of the uh, auction also. And can you just talk a little bit more about that process? I think that um, a lot of people don't know that when you purchase the property, you have your mortgage, but then you have to pay taxes to go to the city and the county and you can basically risk foreclosure by not uh, paying those taxes. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And can you talk about how you're helping those community members? Because I think a lot of times people see these auction sales and all they think about is corporate investors coming in 
um, and stealing homes from the elderly. Can you just talk about how you're changing yeah. that narrative? I think it's so important. Yeah, that's definitely a narrative that's not, um, I don't want to say not true, but that's not what I do. And that's not what I represent. So when you think about auctions, you know, some uh, auction is where, you know, a certain entity could auction off um, property, something of value for something that's not paid, right? So mortgage foreclosures are share sale, which is the county. Um, and then you have certain cities that are in like second class cities where the, the treasurer is able to hold an option to collect on unpaid real estate taxes. So most of these properties that are in the treasure sale, and that's what I teach, is um, these are properties that do not have mortgages attached, um, properties that have been sitting. Um, when you see all these vacant houses and you see, you know, all the, the blighted neighborhoods, of, the blighted properties in our neighborhoods, most of those just have delinquent taxes on those and no mortgages. If there was a mortgage, they would probably go through the sheriff's sale. But most of them are just uh, tax delinquent properties. So in order for the city to, you know, be able to collect on those, um, those taxes or to even transfer ownership, there has to be an option. So what happens is, you know, they'll put these properties in an auction where if you are interested in buying it, you are just paying the unpaid real estate taxes. And that's the difference between a treasure sale and a share sale. So what I do is mainly like solely treasure sale where it's just unpaid taxes. And 90% of the owners on these vacant properties are deceased or they abandoned their properties. And um, so we're not really dealing with like people, you know, losing their homes to foreclosed properties, but there is a redemption period if you, if that is the case. And, um, you know, with these auctions, yes, it's open to the public. So, you know, right now we are dealing with bidding up against, you know, investors, but, What's coming to the future of the land bank is uh, the land bank has the power to pull these properties out of the auction for us community members. So we won't have to bid up against these um, investors. And that's something that the land bank is uh, working on eventually. Could, could you share like one of uh, the more inspiring stories that you have and all the work that you've done? You know, obviously this is something that you haven't started. You've been doing this for a number of years, but is there, is there one story you can pull from that really um, is very inspirational and kind of, you know, kind of lays it out on why you do this work and why other people should tune in and pay attention to this because, you know, who knows how their lives could be transformed, you know, by this incredible work that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I can name a couple, but two that stand out, um, one for the redemption side, right? So redemption is redeeming your property. And, um, I think the last auction, which was about uh, last year, as we skipped the one in April, this auction happens three times a year. So last year, I posted a uh, daycare that was in the auction. And the starting bid is always just what uh, taxes are owed to the city, county, school. So I think the starting bid was like uh, 1500 And I posted the daycare. And a girl reached out to me, and she said... Um, 
hey, that's my grandma's daycare, you know? And I said, oh, really, did you, it's an auction that's coming up, you know, this Friday. And she, she didn't have any clue. And she said her, her uncle had taken over the property and he hasn't been doing good. And she asked me, and um, from an investor mindset, which I really don't have because I'm so passionate, but someone with an invest investor mindset, they wouldn't think to, you know, help her get this property out of the option. It would be, listen, this is open to the public on Friday. It's 1500. I'm interested in it. It is what it is. But I took the time to tell her, hey, you actually have up and up until Thursday to make a payment plan. And if you just make a payment plan, not even a full 1500, you go and make a payment plan, they will take that property out of the auction. So um, she was, she was so happy. She thanked me. And then she ended up calling me back and said, you know, we got to keep the property and it's been taken out of the auction. So that's one of the redemption side of it that I feel like um, sometimes the community, we just don't know those loopholes or what's connected to these uh, auctions that happen and being able to keep your property. And then another inspiration of it is just being able to teach people who are born and raised from these communities how to stay, you know, and how to add value with um, just becoming homeowners, you know. Um, I mean, we, we think that this is something that is so far out from passion, but if you go to some of these auctions and you see, I've seen someone bid up against a, a grandmother whose property was in an auction. He bid up against her, he won, and he turned around and gave her the slip to go get her property back, you know? So, and I'm even teaching where sometimes it works where if you are in a financial uh, situation where you can, uh, afford these delinquent real estate taxes and maybe you're someone who cannot but you're you're up against your property being taken that that's an opportunity for collaboration for a new a new generation of homeowners I mean I'm sorry new generation of landlords and maybe that landlord you could work something out where you could stay and just rent from this person who just bought your property so it there's ways where we can stay and our identity is, you know, safe in our communities and we're not being pushed out from investors. And then there's ways where, you know, we can create some new opportunities uh, with the investors. You know, it's it's not always, it doesn't always have to be us against them because at the same time of them uh, uh, investing into our communities, th they need us just as much as we need them. Because as long as there is, crime and all of that, what happens to their property value, you know? So we, we need to work together where it's, you're not erasing our identity. You're not taken away from us and you are able to be an ally, whether it's through a financial or you're investing in these new uh, uh, rehabs on these homes. So, I mean, there's been a lot of stories where I feel like this is just something the public needs to get involved in. And I feel like, um, it's a lot of civic work too. We don't know. It's connected to uh, a lot of uh, the political realm also, because what happens in these process of buying these properties, everything is approved by city council. So if you don't know your city council and you don't know who they are, it's it kind of leads you in a situation where you don't even know why your property wasn't approved. So 
there's a lot of civic education around it also. And you talk about education. One of the ways that you've been um, engaging folks is through like your TikTok um, and your social media. And you've been very, you know, intentional about making sure the information you put out, anyone could understand it. What was your thought process behind that? Because I could imagine if I'm someone who woke up to a notice on my door saying my my property is being taken away from me, I wouldn't know where to look, right? And so now people know to look to you. So what what made you utilize that journey and say, this is knowledge that I'm going to give away, not only for free, but through social media and walk you through the process? Yeah. Um just just wanting people to know that this is out there and um really to just get us engaged in a, a different sector you know because right now the, the the private sector is based on uh equity and it's based on money and it's based on credit scores so we're already it's not a fair game in that sector but public it's really just based on knowledge you know so this stuff is in it's in journals and it's online and it's free. So it's for the community. And a lot of times the community is just not involved because they think it's so far out of their reach, you know? So I just wanted to be that connector to show them, you know, this applies to you and it's something that you can do, you know, it's not too far over your head. And, um, it's a process. There's always a process, but a process does not mean it's hard. It just means there's steps to get it done. So, um, you know, and, and having friends and having family who, who went through the, who went through the process of their property, uh, going through the auction and me just being able to help them. It, it helped me realize that, you know, this is something that is probably happening everywhere. And even on my TikTok, um, it's funny because I'm I'm doing the properties in Pittsburgh because I'm in Pittsburgh and everyone on TikTok is like, I want to come to Pittsburgh to invest. And I'm like, well, you have an auction right there in your uh, local municipality, local county building too. So now I'm, you know, teaching other, uh, other counties and people, other community stakeholders how to purchase property in their county, you know? So it's not just come to Pittsburgh. We don't want you to come in and try to flip up our city. You can, you know, buy a property in your city. You don't have to go through uh, the the worries of, you know, my credit score not being where it needs to be for a mortgage. You can get a property from the auction. And an- another thing with these auctions, you know, once it once it happens at the auction level where, you know, the people aren't bidding, in reality just like this upcoming auction, 98 properties are not going to be um, purchased at the auction. So there's a there's a process of uh, the surplus, what's left from these uh, properties that are then sold privately with the uh, municipality. And that's where um, it's called like a repository list or we call it uh, just uh, city-owned properties where then a community stakeholder, you know, someone like me, you can now just enter into a private sale with the city. And that's where the 3000 properties that are left, those are properties that, you know, weren't redeemed from previous owners or purchased at 
the actual lab auction. Now this is what's left and you can buy these properties from the city at a um, cheaper price than going through the private market. So just having all these benefits of, you know, just our local, our local government. I just feel like this is information that we need to know. And sometimes, you know, when you have a service, I like to say um, it's, it's like it's our job to get it to the people. You know, if, if it's something that's benefit for them, then you got to get it to them. People shouldn't really have to go out to look for it. But um, I'm just trying to be the connector in that piece. Okay. And I know that was a lot of information that you gave away for free. Um, so I think that's really sparked. But you have a class coming up on Thursday. We have the link in the chat. Can you just talk about um, the classes that you're having um, and uh, why you're doing this? So the webinar is an online webinar, August 18th, uh, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, you can register on Eventbrite. And in the online webinar, I'm teaching step-by-step -step the basics of how to purchase property through the auction. Um, the auction would be that Friday, the next day, which is August 19th. Um, so in the webinar, I'm teaching, you know, you have to register because it's online. So we go over how to register. We go over the list. We go over how to look up the property. Um, we go over what happens to the property when it's not sold and then how to buy the property that's not sold. So we do all of that in a two-hour webinar. And um, yeah, we just learn how to purchase the property. And then it's very basic information. So you can apply what you learn from my workshop to another county because the information is like basic for you know, just a treasure sale auction anywhere. And before you leave, can you talk, uh, uh, if this is the case, um, if there's any particular, you know, parts of the city that are seeing more activity, uh, you know, in, in this auction arena, um, and if, you know, any particular neighborhoods folks should, you know, have an eye out for, or if they have family or they own some property in that community, should they be, you know, that much more vigilant about paying attention to these auctions and, and how this process works? Yeah. So, I mean, I would just say always start within your family lineage of what, you know, for generational wealth, because a lot of these properties uh, are vacant. They, the owners are, you know, deceased. So you can start with going to probate and wills downtown to see the, the, if there was a will, to see who the heirs were on the property. Because you might have some ownership tied to it where you could, you know, recover that property before the auction. Um, so I, I like to tell people to look at that first, because if that's the case, you could redeem it and have it taken out of the auction before that even happens. Um, and just as far as areas, you know, uh, there's if on the list, the auction list for Friday, there's property, there's 98 properties and there's literally properties in every single like urban community. And unfortunate what's happening with outside investors, they're, you know, they're focusing on the main of, you know, that, that whole transportation bus line. So East Liberty, Homewood, Lawrenceville. Um, but what's, what's to come through the land bank, you know, I, I really look forward to the land bank working with community members to, uh, it's called a trunk bid and 
That's that's the name of it. What will happen is you would contact the land bank and say, hey, you know, and I think you have to do it two weeks ahead of time. You would contact them and say, hey, I do not feel I don't feel comfortable bidding in this bid, um, you know, because it's, it's a, sometimes it's a lose lose with investors. So I don't feel comfortable. Can you pull this property out because I want to purchase this for, you know, home ownership uh, for my family and they will pull that out. So um there's not really like a main area where I would say it's it's better. It's I just I want us to get involved and you know get these properties. And if you already are a private home owner, I know the numbers look crazy of what these investors are offering you, but don't sell. No, <laughs> I know I'm just playing, but just you know, just keep in mind generational wealth when you're thinking about your home and what you can do with it. And I think that's another education piece that people have to has on equity, you know, how far equity goes on a home, what you can do with the equity in your house, you know, before you sell it to an investor. So it's a, it's a lot in the um, just learning and, but it is something that could be taught because I learned it, you know, so everyone else can learn it too. All right, Billy, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Can you just tell us how to get in contact with Community Pittsburgh? Yes, so you can email um, at info at communitypgh.com. I also have the Value the Vacant website up, www.valuethevacant.com, where you could uh, book for consultation. You could book for the webinar. You could also donate to the work that I'm doing. Yep, that's it. So info at Common Unity PGH and www.valuethevacant.com. Perfect. Well, Billy, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. All right. See ya. And and that was Billy Vaughn from Common Unity. And we were also joined by Lee Smith of New Voices for Reproductive Rights. And uh, it's been a very, very engaging conversation uh about very important uh you know rights when it comes um you know to reproductive rights and everything that's happened this year and obviously affordable housing and housing has been a growing issue in this city as uh the the cost uh, and the price of property has has increased astronomically over the last decade uh yeah and i think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to uplift the work that billy's doing is she's taking a lot of these practices people have traditionally seen as very predatory and has been using them to not only inform community members but help community members disrupt some of these cycles of poverty fight back against gentrification and when need be could um create collaborations so people are able to not only stay within their homes but stay within community which is you know, something that's very important. And so that's why, you know, we had her on the information, you know, it's verified. So it's not like a scam. And so the information that's out there, a lot of times people don't know some of these steps. And again, it's it's stressful, it's, it's challenging, and it's embarrassing. And sometimes people are at risk of losing their properties, 
But just knowing that you're able to make a payment plan to save your property, I think that's such a, um, a necessary information and a necessary tool. Again, there are no easy answers. There are no perfect solutions. But we wanted to just make people aware of some things that are happening, particularly within Pittsburgh, as, as Kari was saying, where housing and affordable housing is such um, a pressing issue. And so we're very um, excited and, and thankful for you know, our guests and like Kari mentioned at the um, top of the hour, there's so much happening um, within the city. So first up, Netroots. Netroots is this weekend. If you um, are um, a local resident, you are able to eligible to purchase uh, tickets. We'll put the link in the chat. Um, um, you're eligible for uh, up to 40% off some of the tickets. We know the tickets are are, are, are expensive um, for some people. Um, and we'll know there are there are applications um, out here for people uh, to get involved, not only for to um, volunteer for scholarships, but also um, you know to participate. Um, so the first link we'll put in the chat um, is the Netroots uh, um, uh, conference uh, where, where you can uh, go um, and, and, and participate. Um, the next thing we have is I think maybe Kahari will talk about this, this the Bun B mixer yeah, that so, we have uh, coming up. Next, and I know next we'll Thursday, pull up, uh, I will, uh, the we'll ad be joined by uh, hip hop legend Bun B from the group UGK. Uh, who will be sharing uh, insight and, and wisdom about entrepreneurship, about the music business, uh, about life in general, about loss, you know, obviously, you know, rest in peace, Pimp C, you know, he's, you know, experienced a lot, now has uh, the the best hamburger in the world, from what I understand, the Trill Burger has won every, every award that's out there. So, um, you know, has a real uh, interesting perspective you know representing the south you know and coming up you know at a time you know long before today you know when when, when the south you know was not considered you know a hotbed for for for, for real hip-hop you know and, and and he was part of that movement you know coming from texas um to really bring a legitimacy um to southern hip-hop you know obviously before him the ghetto boys and outcasts and some other groups uh from other parts of texas as well as georgia and, and some other areas were integral as well, but UGK was truly, um, you know, one of the forerunners, you know, of, of Southern hip hop and, you know, and then, you know, made, you know, the classic Big Pimpin' with Jay-Z, you know, that really opened them up to a Northern audience, you know, and really made them national, national stars and obviously exposed Jay-Z to a broader Southern audience that he may not have had before that tune came out. Um, so, so he's been, you know, at the forefront you know, since the nineties, you know, of, of, of the transformation, you know, uh, of hip hop from a, a regional, you know, art form, you know, to a global movement. So, you know, we're very excited to be able to uh, bring uh Bun B to the black boxes to share, you know, all of his wisdom and all of his experiences as an artist, you know, as an entrepreneur and as, you know, someone who came up, you know, in, in Texas and, and overcame those challenges to become a success. So we're, you know, really excited you know, for this uh, conversation moderated by Jasiri X. Um, and then talking about Netroots on Saturday, we are very, very honored and to have um, a One Hood Media, our 501c3 open house. Um, and uh, the, the open house is actually going to be um, 
featuring uh, the fathers of the movement, Michael Brown Sr., Jacob Blake, you know, Uncle Bod, uh, uh, Andrew Joseph Jr. and Kenneth um, Chamberlain Jr. Um, from 1230 to 3. That's going to be um, at the Black Box, you know, um, on 460 Millwood Ave. We're going to have food. Um, we'll have lunch being provided, vegan and vegetarian options. So um, this is free and open to all. So please come out uh, Monday. I'm mean, sorry, Saturday from uh, uh, 12 to 3.30. Um, you get to, to fellowship, engage, um, and, and learn with the fathers of the movement. You know, and just have like, a really great, chill uh, Saturday evening. Um, also, you know, it, like we said, it's an election. You have until October 24th to register to vote for the November 8th election. Reminder, if you're voting by mail, November 1st is going to be your election day because you need to have your, your ballot in the mail at least a week in advance to avoid any delays or issues with the mail. So again, you know, thank you so much for tuning in to this, you know, week's edition of the Power Hour. Make sure you comment, like, and subscribe. And special our uh, thanks again to our, our guests, Lee Smith and Billy Vaughn, uh, for sharing uh, their insight and, and the fantastic uh, work that they're doing with new voices for reproductive rights and common unity. Um, so definitely check the comment section to find those links. To, to catch up to the uh, fabulous work that they're doing. and want to thank them again and thank everyone uh, for tuning in this week for another edition of the One Hood Power Hour. You know, we'll be back, you know, next Monday post um, Annette Roots as we start to get ready for our fall kickoff. And uh, thanks again, you know, thanks producer John, you know, for always holding us down and um, see you next uh, Monday for another edition of the Power Hour. Uh, this is Kahari Mosley uh, for my illustrious co-host, uh, Miracle Jones. Uh, we're signing off. And and remember, uh, check out Netroots this week. Um, check out the Fathers of the Movement this Saturday at the Black Box. And then uh, next Thursday, check out Bun B at the Black Box. So we got a lot going on. Looking forward uh, to engaging with you the entire uh, fall season as as we prepare for another huge election. But I uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We'll see you next Monday. Take care. Have a great night.